how are you now? <laughs> oh boy. How are you tonight, this morning, this afternoon? I don't know when you're listening to this. I know I'm recording it at almost 2 a.m. local time for me. So I want to start this one off by saying I'd like to fucking outlaw these Western road trip start times for the rest of time. It is absurd. I I know you you gotta cater to the place where you're actually playing. You can't have games at like, you know, 4 p.m. local time, but I would like to campaign for it. I, I think it would be better for all parties. I don't really care what happens in Seattle. Uh, I don't really care that they got to pay fucking $70 to park their cars outside of the arena. I don't know if anybody saw that, but that is literally what they charge for parking at Climate Pledge Arena. $70 American dollars to park your car. God damn. They're getting gouged out there. Your Montreal Canadiens win in Seattle. And I don't know if they had to pay $70 for parking or not, but if they did, they got their fucking money's worth. They went 4-2 to two in regulation over the Seattle Kraken. Hello and welcome to episode 25 of the Bottom 6 Minutes podcast presented by Habs Eyes and the Prize. I am Matt Drake, and uh, whew, that was a actually a hilarious game. Uh, I'm not pissed off. I'm not super happy, uh, but I'll tell you what, I'll take the result and I'll take what I saw in that game. Um, let's get into it because uh, I want to. I want to get through this episode. I'm gonna try to do this in one take today. I do most of the episodes in one take. Sometimes I cut them up a little bit. This one, we're going for one take, no cuts. So what happened? Well, first period, Kraken looking like the better team early by a sight. They're getting all the shots. Uh, Habs got a power play. They got zero shots even on the power play. They just couldn't get the puck on net. Even when they had the puck in the offensive zone, they couldn't put it on net. Missing a lot of shots, getting blocked, and the Kraken definitely outpossessing them by a pretty significant margin. However, not long after a big save was made on Shane Wright by Jake Allen, the Habs get a face-off in the offensive zone after an icing, uh, get the puck back to Johnny Kovacevic. He shoots through traffic, and it goes in. One nothing for the Montreal Canadiens. But, I already mentioned, a big save by Jake Allen on Shane Wright. But you kind of felt like he was going to do something in this game, and of course, he does in the first period. Mike Matheson with a giveaway in behind the halves net. It gets sent out in front to none other than Shane Wright, and he scores his first NHL goal against the team that didn't draft him, because of course he did. Everybody knew that was going to happen. A lot of people were projecting maybe even a hat trick for him in that game. He didn't get a hat trick, obviously, but he gets his first NHL goal. Congratulations to him. Um, wish him nothing but the best, uh, but I do hope Slavkovsky ends up being better. Otherwise, we're going to look like some idiots for a long time. Now, 1-1, end of 20 minutes. Habs probably don't deserve to have a 1-1 game, but they do. We go into the second period. And what have I said many, many times? Deserves got nothing to fucking do with it. Habs get going a little bit better early on in the second. Uh, there's a giveaway in the offensive zone right to Nick Suzuki. That's a bad idea. If you give the puck away to Nick Suzuki uh, and with Cole Caulfield on the ice, you're going to have a bad time. And the Kraken do. Suzuki just puts it on a platter for Caulfield. He doesn't miss from that spot inside the faceoff circle. And it is to 2-1 for the Montreal Canadiens. And then seconds later, off the very faceoff that came at center ice from that goal by Caulfield... Uh, the Habs go right down the ice. We get Christian Dvorak streaking in on the left wing, throws it across to Josh Anderson. He puts in an easy one to make it 3-1 to one for the Montreal Canadiens. They only had six shots on goal at that point, and they had three of them go in. So pretty good success rate with your shots. So get a little bit more rubber on the net. 
Habs get another power play later on in that period. Again, they have no shots. Fuck. Um, one of them was cut short. Sorry, they had two more power plays. No shots on either of them. One of them did get cut short by a Mike Matheson interference penalty, but that four-on-four actually yields another goal for the Montreal Canadiens. Amazing play by Rem Pitlick, streaking down the ice. Uh, throws it off to, I think, Jake Evans first, over to Joel Edmondson. Edmondson back down in front to Rem Pitlick, and he scores. It's 4-1. to one. But wait. Dying seconds of the period. Jared McCann gets left alone in front. Puck comes down to him. Easy redirection into the net. Makes it 4-2. to two. Are we about to see a repeat of what we saw the very previous night in Vancouver? Luckily, we are not. Third period, it's a wash. The Habs actually pick up the shooting a little bit. They had eight shots at the end of the second period total in the game. Right? They had eight shots just in the third period. So they doubled up their shooting total. Um, you know, the, the Kraken definitely had more shots overall. They had more opportunities. But Jake Allen stood tall. Um, they closed it out pretty well. I mean, they, they got another power play in the in the third period, and they actually managed to put some rubber on the net during that one. So that was nice. Uh, power play sucked overall. But you know what? It killed some clock, and the Habs were able to get the win. A win that they maybe didn't necessarily deserve, but again, deserves got nothing to do with it sometimes. Um, it seems like it's it's been back and forth for the last like week or so. Like they'll win a game that they probably shouldn't. Um, the the game after or the game before losing one that they probably shouldn't. And I know you could look at that Vancouver game and you could say, well, it was actually pretty even and they obviously blew a big lead. But the reason why I say they probably should have won that game is because they had the big lead, right? You should be able to close out a game where you get a lead like that, regardless of how the game necessarily played out. I think Vancouver maybe outplayed them a little bit, particularly after they gave up the four goals. But I think they should have won that game and they should have probably lost against Seattle, but they didn't. And why didn't they lose? Well, that brings me to your player or players of the game. I'm going with Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield. I know. I've given them both plenty of shine on this podcast, and I'm kind of running out of things to say about them. But how do you not give it to them? They really drove things for the Habs in that game. Uh, That was the best line, uh, which is kind of to be expected, that those two with Kirby Doc are going to be your best line night in, night out especially with as many injuries as the Habs have, right? Now, Sean Monaghan's day-to-day. Sean Monaghan was really kind of the secondary guy that was able to run things when Suzuki's not on the ice. And Suzuki and Caulfield in this game, man, they, they made you pay. You make one little mistake with those guys on the ice, and you're going to pay. And that's something that the Habs haven't had in a very long time. I think you could say... Maybe Max Pacioretty was was kind of like that. You know, he, he was a pretty good goal scorer. He's got a really strong wrist shot. He was the kind of guy that if you made a mistake when he was on the ice, you, you were going to pay for it, but not not with the same level of consistency that, that Suzuki and Caulfield are able to do it. I mean, there was a play in the second period where Suzuki gets the puck, comes into the offensive zone. He's kind of spinning around. He does a backwards between the legs uh, backhand pass directly to Caulfield. Caulfield gets a really good look on net uh, but he missed the net by a couple of inches I mean more often than not Cole Caulfield's gonna pot that and there's nothing you can do to stop it I mean they had good coverage there it's just they Caulfield excels at finding that soft ice finding those opportunities for himself and Nick Suzuki excels at finding his teammates in general I mean he does it with eyes in the back of his head it's ridiculous that pass that didn't lead to a goal was maybe the nicest play of the night by anyone. It was nuts. Unbelievable. 
And these two are just getting started in their careers, man. I mean, they're probably going to be player of the game or silver lining of the night or whatever hundreds of times with me doing this podcast until and unless I stop doing it. Maybe I'll hire someone to do the podcast for the fucking Western games that start at 11 p.m. my time. But, uh, you know, that's a different conversation for a different day. Maybe we'll get Vox Media to chip in a little bit more money my way and we'll hire some extra people. But that's probably not going to happen. And you know what else isn't going to happen is these two are not going anywhere off that top line for the Montreal Canadiens. They got to lock Cole Caulfield down as soon as humanly possible. And, you know, you already got Nick Suzuki locked down. You got to just keep letting these guys cook. One thing that we talked about in the EOTP Slack chat during this game was that it was great to see that they did not break up that line because the other three lines were getting caved in pretty badly against Seattle. They looked tired. They looked like a team that were on the second game of a back-to-back. And the one line that was kind of doing well was that top line. And you might be tempted right to break that up and say well i'm getting caved in everywhere else let's separate these guys and try to give a bit of a boost to a different line somehow you don't want to do that with them again they're just getting started in their careers you got to let these guys really start to figure it out you got to let them continue to build that chemistry it's already radiating let it keep going right and that's exactly what martin saint louis did not for a second did he think about breaking that line up he lets them keep playing Uh, they're playing very well and that's what you want to see it's, it's a great sign for the future of this team. And, you know, more of that. I, I hope they're player of the game again on Saturday night. we got a couple of days off coming up. Uh, I think the team needs it. They looked exhausted in this one. Um, that brings me to another thing I wanted to talk about, which which is the, the whole idea of playing a back-to-back on the Western Road Swing. I do not like using the excuse of being tired. You know, you're professional athletes. You better be capable of playing two games in two nights. I've watched plenty of times where I've seen junior teams go three games in three nights. They don't do that in the NHL, but you do have back-to-backs occasionally. You got to be prepared for those. You got to be ready. Um, however, as much as I don't like the excuse of them being tired, you also have to take it in context with the fact that they have so many injuries, right? They're already not expected to be a playoff team. They got a bunch of guys that are out right now. They're running a bunch of rookies who, yeah, they may have played three and three before in junior, but they haven't had to play many back-to-backs at the NHL or the professional level in general. The God of Mischief is back and better than ever. Loki. 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 Wow. Great to see you again. Critics agree. Loki season two is marvelous. Great. And it's finally here. How much do you know? Let's assume I don't know much. A mind-bending adventure. Spectacularly cinematic. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It surpasses all expectations. A little over the top, don't you think? I thought it was spot on. Loki Season 2, now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. Which of the rookies has done professional back-to-back? Slavkovsky, maybe? I'm not sure. I'd have to go and take a look at his schedule from when he was playing in Finland. I'm sure he probably played a back-to-back or two at the professional level but the rest of them all the other rookies they've never played pro back-to-backs before they've certainly never had to do it while traveling several time zones away from where they actually live and play regularly so i think and again this is not me saying that i am now accepting the excuse of back-to-back tiredness for poor performances but i think this one you have to give it some consideration because they looked good in in spurts in that game right the opportunity at four on four, Rem Pitlick just comes streaking through. It's like he just emptied his whole gas tank for that one play. 
he did it again, I think, in the third period um, when the net was empty for Seattle and he kind of turned on the Jets and he was going for it, but he got caught and, you know, the puck got turned around and sent back into the half zone. So you could tell he was just out of gas, out of gas. Everything he did on that four-on-four play, um, you know, he, I, I, like I said, I think he blew through his whole gas tank and he didn't have anything left. They looked in a lot of parts of that game like they just had nothing left. Some of the power plays were disgustingly bad. Like the first three power plays, they had no shots on goal. Then all of a sudden in the third period, they put it together and they were actually like going for it there. Um, it, it was it was weird. It, it was weird to watch. It was like I, I felt like they were really tired, but at the same time they, they came up with those spurts of, of energy that, that worked for them and it managed to get them a win. So probably not something that you can replicate on a regular basis. Uh, you probably want to just be better conditioned and, and not have the injuries. But, you know, Take that with a take that for what it's worth, right? I don't like the excuse of them being tired, but it sure looked like a tired team out there. Um, you know who didn't look tired though was Jake Allen. Uh, Jake Allen, he probably deserved to be named as my player of the game for this one, but you know I had to go with the offensive guys. Um, I thought Jake Allen was fantastic. He made a number of really nice saves. Um, this is another one where you could say sort of that he stole that one. It's not like it was a shooting gallery. For Seattle, I think they had 28 shots or 29 shots on goal. So they was, you know, it, it's for me a steal. It's got to be at least in the in the high 30s in terms of shots on net or really good quality scoring chances. Which Seattle had some really good quality scoring chances, but they weren't piling them up, you know, chance after chance after chance. They were somewhat few and far between. Uh, so the Habs did decently in terms of defending, but Jake Allen definitely did play a large role for them in, in getting that win. I, I think if Jake Allen comes in, you know, anything less than 100% for that game, uh, they might have been in trouble uh, because he did make a couple of acrobatic saves. He made one with the knob of his stick as well, which is something you don't see very often. That takes a little bit of luck, right? You, you don't typically swing the knob of your stick hoping to hit the puck. Sometimes you just put it there and it gets hit, which is which is nice and it looks cool and uh, and it did look cool. Um, on the replay and as well as live but probably again not something you can replicate not something that you can do with any reasonable degree of success on a regular basis Uh, but he you know has been providing good goaltending on a reasonable degree of regularness doesn't even make sense reasonable degree of regularness I don't know I'm exhausted it's two games in a row where I've had to be up past 2 a.m. Uh, to record podcasts and, and just to watch the game in general because they're ending so goddamn late. Um, I might cut this one off, but I can't without discussing the Slavkovsky versus Wright matchup a little bit. Um, look, I think we all knew when they called Shane Wright up, first of all, anybody who's saying that they called him up just so that he could play the Habs game, I don't think that's the case. Um, you know, He was on a conditioning loan. There's an agreement between the CHL and the NHL. They can't take the 19-year-olds and just stick them directly into the AHL. If teams could, then they probably would. And Shane Wright might have started the season there, and he might have been there all year. You know, he's been playing pretty well down there. They didn't call him up just so he could play against Montreal. They had to call him up because the conditioning alone can only last so long. Uh, you can't just bury him down there. you got to send him down to junior. And I don't think they're ready to do that yet. I think they want to maybe send him to the... Uh, to the World Juniors, and so as a result, they called him up, and that's the first game they had was playing against the Habs. And I think everybody 
and their fucking mother knew that he was going to score against Habs. There's, of course, he's going to. There's that. What's the other? If if it's like a French Canadian player playing his first game against the Montreal Canadiens, you know he's going to score as well, right? Of course, the guy they passed over in the draft at first overall is going to score against them. I didn't see anything in that game though, really, that told me who was the right pick. You know, did anybody listening ask yourself honestly? Did you see anything in that game that made you go, "Yo, that's the right pick"? We for sure got the right guy, or they for sure got the right guy. I know Wright scored, so you could easily point at that and say, well, that's my thing. That tells me that they got the right guy and we got the wrong guy. Well, Wright also, that's his first NHL goal, and Slavkovsky's already got what, three, four? Um, I think he's got four. He's got three. I don't know, three or four, either way. Slavkovsky has scored more in the NHL than Wright has. So if you're going to point to the goal and say, well, that makes him the right pick, then I would point to the fact that Slavkovsky has scored more goals. These are ineffective arguments, both ways, right? I was on the team of, I was in the Shane Wright camp ahead of the draft. I've since come around a little bit and I'm not so sure. I've said, you know, maybe Slavkovsky was the right pick. Uh, I feel like maybe he was. But I think the jury's still out, and the jury's going to be out for a while. So the reason I wanted to talk about this is because we got to buckle up. We're going to be having this conversation probably for five, six years before we really have an answer. And even in five, six years, the answer might still not be 100% clear. I think the Habs have done a, a reasonably good job of, of putting some faith in Slavkovsky, uh, you know, letting him play, not sending him down, not healthy scratching him as uh, Seattle has done to Shane Wright quite a bit. So there's something to be said for development, but we're, we're going to be having this conversation for a long time. It's not necessarily going to be clear for who knows. I don't know how long it's going to take for us to find out. I think the Habs were pretty clear when they made the pick that they weren't looking for the best player right now. They were looking for the best player down the road. And as long as that ends up being the case, then they got the right guy. And if it doesn't end up being the case, that's where we have a problem. So I don't think the fact that Shane Wright scored a goal against the Habs in the first time that these two players meet means anything. You don't like to see it, of course. You don't like to see the guy that you passed over in the draft uh, come and burn you in a game, but you know they, they got the win. They got the win. The goal didn't really matter that much, and I don't know. Jury's out. Jury's going to stay out for a little while, and uh, we, we can do this a couple of times a year when they meet. And we'll, we'll, we'll see. A few years down the road, we, we can revisit this and we can really decide. I don't think there's any use in having that conversation right now. That's all I want to say about that. And that's where I'll cut off the episode as well. Because we're running like 19 minutes already. So, c'est une grosse soirée pour les employés de soutien. We are on Spotify. We're on Google Play, Apple, Megaphone. I'm on Twitter at DrakeMT. Drop me a follow. I would appreciate it very much. Thank you, as always, for listening. And folks... The countdown continues. Cole Caulfield, 25 more goals to go. À la prochaine. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? 
That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.